Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day and letting us uh, kick off the week with you here. Hope you had a good weekend, some hot weather, some stormy weather in places. We'll talk about all that with DTN. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson in just a bit and what's ahead for not only today but for the rest of July weather-wise. Lots to talk about with markets in China. We'll talk with Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Robo Agrofinance, and we'll get the latest on the battle against soybean cyst nematodes and things that uh, you should be doing and uh, scouting for, looking for. To fight that profit robber, that yield robber, we'll talk with Greg Tilka with Iowa State coming up on today's program but we're glad to start things off uh, for the day and for the week with sarah wyatt editor and president of agripulse communications and sarah i guess we'll start with the weather for you some uh, rainy stormy weather over missouri uh, last night and into this this morning you're still getting some right yes mike it's just letting up and um, the good news is our electricity is back on too so you know what it's like living out in rural america when you have these storms pass through and uh, we had the generator running for a while but uh, all is good once again now and we sure needed the rain so i'm not going to complain about that right some much needed precipitation that's for sure all right let's look ahead this week it's going to be a very interesting week uh, in washington dc let's start on the senate side as a uh, Things really start to heat up there as far as a coronavirus relief package and what's going to be in it for agriculture. I know your staff's been talking with Senate Ag Committee Chair Pat Roberts. So what have you learned? Well, Senator Roberts, of course, is really focused on trying to deliver for agriculture again in this package. And he's been talking about, excuse me, the ability to really give a secretary produce some flexibility more so than is uh, advanced in the House package. Uh, It sounds like uh, that they're looking at unveiling this package on Tuesday when Senate Majority Leader McConnell has a briefing with GOP senators. Uh, It's likely to be a trillion-dollar package or maybe even more, depending on how they shape this up. And Senator Hoven, who, of course, is an appropriator on the Senate side, has discussed maybe 30 to $35 billion more in farm aid as part of that. But it's a delicate dance, as you know, Mike, trying to figure out competing demands between uh, McConnell, who has said liability protection for businesses is really a, a red line for him. He needs to have that in this package. But he's also got a lot of endangered Republicans that he's trying to protect. And those folks may be leaning more towards the House side, the $3 trillion package that also includes aid to uh, state and, and uh, local municipalities and, and also some more aid for the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. So uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how they really craft this ag package and the larger aid package that uh, can get buy-in from all the GOP senators and, and also be something that can compromise with the House. Yeah, they're walking a political tightrope for sure. I find it interesting, depending on who you you hear talking, some talk about uh, more flexibility and leeway for USDA and Secretary Purdue. Others at times are talking about, well, we need more oversight, more uh, tighter controls over what they're doing. So it, I guess those are the times in which we live. Yes, it's a, 
you know, it's one of those things where normally this kind of assistance would have been crafted by the agricultural committees and moved through a, a normal process. But this is a time when there's anything but normal, as you know. And so we've got different committee members who would like to see a little tighter control over the secretary and how he's delivering this aid. And that's just going to be a one of those debates will be ongoing as they craft this package and hopefully get it passed before they leave in August. So we've got about three weeks for a real sprint here of politics and policy to be developed. Then over on the House side, they're working on spending bills. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Speaker Pelosi has suggested that we might move a, a mini bus, which is basically a package of four appropriations bills yet this week. And that would include funding for agriculture. Uh, and, you know, we're watching carefully as well how that's going to be shaping up and, and what's going to be included there. You know, NCBA has been happy with some things lately, like uh, the ruling on grizzly bears and also new rules for NEPA. But they're not happy with the passage of the Great American Outdoors Act. And it looks like that'll go through. It does look like it's going to go through. It's already passed the Senate. It looks like the House is ready to embrace that. And, uh, yeah, there uh, there's some argument over the priorities for spending in that, but there is also very robust support. So, um, and I think it came through the Rules Committee, and so it looks like it's it's on the way for passage. Well, as you said, they, their timeline now is their August recess, and it'll be interesting to see how much gets done uh, by then. I got a feeling it's going to go right down to the wire, probably. Well, no, most things do. You know, there's nothing yeah. like a really solid deadline for getting out of Washington D.C. that drives a lot of action. So, yeah, I uh, I think there'll be a very robust debate when this is unveiled this week, and and then they'll have to get down to business and and worry about passage. Yeah, that's that is usually the one deadline that does seem to get things done. Uh, also, Sarah, as we continue to look at the overall picture china figures very much into it as always the ongoing rhetoric back and forth between the two but meanwhile china has been making some pretty significant purchases of u.s ag products they certainly have and you probably saw the announcement even this morning 132,000 metric tons of soybeans uh, for china uh, for the 2021 marketing year was announced by USDA. And so we're continuing to see that. You probably also heard that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was visiting with Iowa Farm Bureau members last week, trying to reassure them that the Chinese are going to fulfill their phase one commitments. Obviously, there's a lot of folks who are still skeptical about that. And in this week's newsletter, we've got a story looking at one other thing that could really throw a monkey wrench in those uh, discussions and those continued purchases. So uh, I guess it's something we're going to continue to watch uh, on an hourly, if not daily basis. And all this, uh, of course, during a presidential election year, and that uh, that's a big factor in almost everything that happens. Well, it certainly is. You can't deny that in the background of everything is not only the presidential, but uh, control of the Senate, because there are a lot of, mm -hmm. as I mentioned, endangered GOP senators. And so, you know, the possibility of having a Democratic-controlled White House, Senate, and House is, is certainly out there. Um, there's a, a lot of angst over some of the president's handling of the pandemic, and uh, certainly Farm country has supported him historically over the last few years, but uh, folks are wondering whether that enthusiasm will hold.
Yeah, we'll see what happens. Sarah, always good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. Sarah Wyatt, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Well, as we said, some parts of the country getting some much-needed rain. Others still still waiting, still needing. Meanwhile, some hot weather moving across as well during this critical time for crops. We're going to talk about all that with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson up next on AOA. information america's farmers and ranchers need to know adams on agriculture now back to mike adams well let's talk weather with dtm meteorologist bryce anderson bryce good to talk with you again rains over the weekend who got rain and who didn't there were several areas of the midwest that and uh, part of the uh, central plains that uh, got some rainfall mike uh, starting out in north-central Nebraska, anywhere from about uh, one to possibly two and a half inches of rain have uh, fallen. And then there was a swath in central Missouri with similar amounts. You get into uh, eastern Illinois, western Indiana, anywhere from one and a half to maybe locally up to three and a half, four inches of rain with uh, some possible flood problems, uh, pretty localized, I think. And then in uh, north-central, northeastern Illinois, there was kind of a narrow swath that got that inch and a half to uh, up to three-inch amounts. And we even saw a little bit of rain in Michigan and Ohio also. It was uh, more scattered in Ohio, kind of uh, confined to the north-central northeast. Uh, Michigan had uh, pretty fair coverage, I'd say uh, about a half to one and a half. So there certainly were some uh, areas that uh, got some rain. It still has not shown up very much in a real dry area of west central Iowa, but it uh, does appear that the showers in Nebraska are going to be able to uh, hold together and move into that part of the country as well, and that would be certainly real welcome in that uh, section of the Corn Belt. So what's shaping up for this week ahead? Well, we've got a very similar uh, setup to the uh, events that we had this past weekend. Uh, there is the uh, the bubble of upper-level heat over the far southern plains and the parts of the delta that still is going to be around. Uh, on the other hand, there is a fairly strong trough of low pressure with cooler conditions and a little bit more energy to help generate storms coming out of the eastern Canadian prairies uh, working south and southeast. And uh, that's helping to take the edge off that, you know, real hot pattern that we had during the weekend and uh, quite a few areas of the country in terms of uh, crop uh, areas. And um, that uh, trough is going to keep firing up storms uh, during the week with rainfall, uh, maybe some severe weather, but I think more rain benefit than anything in terms of uh, the overall effect on crops. And after this week, the pattern does turn uh, back into a mainly dry pattern. Uh, so the rainfall that we get this week is... I think going to be very timely, and uh, it's obviously going to get used a lot with uh, crops in you know such a uh, high water usage phase right now. We've got corn pollinating, we've got soybeans flowering. Uh, there's going to be uh, filling uh, grain moisture needed. Uh, so there's, uh, like I say, just a lot of demand 
that we have uh, from crops right now at this stage in their growth cycle. I know around me in Illinois, I see some very good-looking crops, but I know some areas are really struggling this year. What are the what are the hardest-hit areas when it comes to the drought or dry weather, if not a all-out drought, and, and the heat? Well, there is a, a pretty a good-sized portion of, uh, of west-central Iowa, uh, west of Interstate 35, and then extending almost all the way to the Missouri River between Iowa and Nebraska, and then from U.S. Highway 20 uh, that goes across the uh, northern third of Iowa south uh, to Interstate 80 uh, from Omaha on east uh, through Des Moines. Uh, that, that section of Iowa is now in uh, severe drought, uh, drought level two on the drought monitor. And, um, you know, this is um, an area that uh, has about 6.5% of the corn acreage in uh, the state of Iowa in that neighborhood, and a, also a fairly large percentage, or around 5-6% uh, of the soybean uh, planted acreage. So it's not, you know, an insignificant uh, grain producer. Uh, this uh, part of the uh, state of Iowa may get an average of about an inch and a quarter of rain this week, but evapotranspiration is going to uh, soak up, you know, some about uh, about half of that amount. So the net rainfall that we get in that part of uh, the uh, state of Iowa is going to be about six-tenths of an inch, which in turn is going to basically get crops through about, you know, two days or so of uh, moisture needs uh, when temperatures turn warmer and evapotranspiration picks up again. So there's uh, j- this uh, just kind of a short-term benefit. Then in the state of Ohio, uh, it has been uh, pretty dry across almost the entire state, abnormally dry. Indiana has been in a similar situation. Uh, hopefully there was uh, some benefit uh, from the rainfall that uh, that eastern part of the Midwest received because, like I say, uh, crops are uh, you know, going to use every molecule of water they can, they can get their roots on right now. And uh, so it's, it's uh, high time to... Uh, take advantage of uh, chances to get timely moisture. And we're talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. So, any areas that are too wet? You know, there really are very few. Uh, the The uh, situation has uh, has turned around almost completely uh, from a year ago. Uh, there's been a little bit of uh, ongoing river basin flooding in parts of uh, of central South Dakota in the James River Valley, but uh, it's uh, it's pretty hard to find areas that have got too much uh, rainfall, particularly after this kind of heat that we've had over so much of the country. Uh, that's going to uh, dry things up pretty quickly and uh, turn that soil profile from excessively wet to uh, less than that pretty quickly. What do the models say looking ahead to August, what we might expect? Well, what we have is is what we're probably going to see with uh, the temperature pattern staying on a very warm note uh, above normal over most of the Midwest, much of the plains, and the precipitation uh, has some variable amounts and uh, prospects. Now, over the northwestern plains, the likelihood is that the precip totals are going to be above normal. Uh, In the eastern Midwest, uh, from central Illinois on east, chances are that uh, the 
Moisture pattern is going to be above normal, maybe a little bit of a tropical influence from time to time. But over much of the remainder of the uh, Midwest and then through the central and the southern plains, our forecast is uh, looking pretty dry and uh, near to below normal, particularly from about northeastern Iowa uh, southwest, you know, kind of cutting a swath across central and southwestern Iowa into eastern Nebraska, northern Missouri, and then into Kansas. And so uh, there's, there's going to be some, uh, some questions, I think, about how August is actually going to play out in terms of its impact on crop conditions. I don't think that we can just take it for granted that uh, things are just kind of home free in terms of uh, crop prospects because we know that there's a lot of demand uh, for, for moisture as we go through grain fill, and we have had some years where that's been kind of surprisingly deficient, and, uh, you know, the uh, results at harvest time were not necessarily what had been uh, thought would be the case because that late-season drier trend made its effect. Yeah, still a long ways to go and uh, some challenges ahead and could be some surprises come come harvest time. As you said, we've had those many times before. Um, but as we, you know, it just sounds like some pretty key areas are just kind of going shower to shower right now, waiting for that next one to get by a little longer. Yeah, that's where we are. Uh, there's there's a, a real spoon feeding of moisture that, that uh, crops are going to need. I mean, we're in a spot now where with the kind of demand that uh, vegetation puts on the soil moisture uh, that, uh, you know, rainfall, even if it's a moderate to heavy uh, rainfall event uh, doesn't really uh, make its way into the soil profile because there's all of this uh, demand uh, for water usage, and we know that the uh, warmer temperatures are also going to uh, cause their, uh, you know, make their effect in terms of drying out the ground uh, through evaporation. And so it's just really hard to uh, replenish, rebuild uh, the soil moisture profile at this point. Uh, that's where the fall rains and the late winter, early spring rains are so critical in terms of uh, having that impact on the soil profile. And fortunately, there are still quite a few areas that have enough moisture to work with that uh, crops can get through a drier trend. But we are starting to see that there's uh, some areas that are starting to uh, have that deficit develop. And and uh, at this point in the season, uh, that can become uh, pretty uh, pretty notable pretty quickly. Yeah, always amazing how quickly it can change. You can get an inch of rain one day, and a couple of days later you're you're watching for that next one because you need it already. All right, Bryce, good Very to talk true. with you. Thanks a lot. Take care. You're welcome, Mike. Thank you. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. We'll talk markets next and China's purchases and more U.S. ag products. We'll talk with Steve Nicholson with Robo Agrofinance next on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. China buying more U.S. ag products. Let's talk about it with Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Robo Agrifinance. Steve, thanks for joining us. With all the purchases lately by China, there have been some questions raised. Why weren't they buying more soybeans? Well, now we have another uh, soybean purchase. So uh, what are your thoughts on this buying spree by China? 
Well, I think it's, it's good morning, Mike. I hope you're all well. Um, it is really interesting that China continues to buy more, uh, particularly after the announcement, you know, sort of this official announcement of a pause. And then, of course, all the, the, the tensions between both uh, China and the U.S. here in recent, in recent months. Um, but I think it's, you know, it goes back to China's, you know, kind of modus operandi. Look at what's happened in the markets. They went up and now they've come back down. And you look at these corn is, you know, kind of hitting near, is starting to head towards contract lows. And soybeans the same way have come back off those, those highs that we saw just, you know, just a couple of weeks ago. And they've come back down and the same with wheat. And so China, as always, is a price buyer. And when they see those opportunities, they tend to, they tend to jump on the, jump on the bandwagon and get some, get some product bought. So I, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, they need the product, uh, and they will, they won't admit to that publicly. Uh, but they are in the process of building stocks a little bit and trying to get things back in line. And I think it also goes kind of with the whole mentality of what's happening with coronavirus is that, you know, countries are thinking about um, their stocks levels and thinking about, I don't want to get caught short. And so it's, we've kind of joked internally, um, it's all about, it's not just in time anymore, it's just in case. And so I think it's a combination of things that China's coming back and, and putting some, putting some, you know, product and getting it done and moving on. So, but I, you know, one thing I will caution is that while this is, this is a good thing and I'm not going to disparage that, you know, it does fall right in line with where their purchases have been this time of year in the past. If you look at the aggregate purchases toward that 36.5 billion bushel goal, um, or 35 billion bushel or dollar goal, um, you know, they're right in line of, of what they're buying in the second and third quarter is about that three to four, three to five billion dollar um, purchases in that time period. So this, this is, I think, makes a lot of sense. It's just surprising, I think, in some of what's all the rhetoric and all the things that have gone on around. So, What are your thoughts on market reaction to these purchases? Yeah, you know, it's been a little surprising. The market's been a little subdued. Um, and said, okay, this is, you know, this is what we expected. And so there, I mean, that's kind of my reaction is the market's going, okay, yep, this is what we expected. So uh, the other thing too, is think about the time of year we're in. What's the dominant factor? Did it rain on your farm yesterday? It's all about the weather. And, you know, think about even the acreage numbers, you know, when we look at the corn number losing 5 million acres, and I put losing in quotes, the market quickly came back and said, yep, I think we'll be okay, and it's, and it's quickly moved back again, as I said earlier, toward those contract lows on these corn, which is disappointing. Um, but the fact is the market's looking at the weather and going, yeah, it's hot. We've had some issues here and there, but generally overall the, the crop looks good and we're, it's all, all looks favorable. So I think that's what the market's looking at. That's its big, that's its big, you know, it's big thing. But I think when you look down the road and think about China, Let's say in the fourth quarter when, you know, they buy the most, you know, historically, that's when they bought the most amount of product from the United States, both in volume and in dollar amount. If we get to the fourth quarter this year, you know, right after harvest or right during harvest and they're not buying, then I think the market will react to that and go, oh, that's not a good thing and react negative to that. At this point, it's, it's kind of the business is usually continuing to move forward um, easily. I talked with a farm wife over the weekend who was telling me about her <laughs> husband, her husband regretting or starting to worry about 
old crop corn still in the bin that he hadn't sold yet. He'd been holding on to it, kind of wishing he had uh, sold it sooner. Yeah. And probably a lot of probably a lot of those uh, cases going on <laughs> across the countryside. A lot of those discussions uh, going on. What do you say to those folks? Yeah, it, there probably is a lot of uh, Monday morning quarterbacking, both by spouses and by partners and by uh, mm-hmm. farmers alike. It is a that's a tough tough situation because now you're you're basically into July, you know harvest is you know you'll start in the southern southern part of the United States will harvest the next you know third forty five days until that stuff comes to market pretty quickly and will have an impact. The futures are not going to be your friend at this point unless we unless we get here to August first. Um, and we, you know, the faucets turn off. I mean, that's been the good news is at least it's been hot, but we continue to get periodic rains across parts of the Corn Belt to keep us alive. The one thing I have noticed, and I, this is where, again, we talk about this, you and I have talked about this more more than once, is that basis continues to be the farmer's friend. And we continue to see good basis levels. Uh, I just noticed late last week we did see um, – Basis levels and corn across the Corn Belt kind of get a pickup. And, you know, everything from, you know, just a few cents to upwards of a dime a bushel. And so if if you've got corn in the bin, um, and, and I would beans are probably gone, but if you've got corn in the bin, you, you need to get it moved now. And I think the other kind of the other sermonette, if you have it in this in this process of thinking is, and I, and I always have kind of have farmers, I kind of walk them down the path and have them think about this and said, so if you've got corn in the bin and you don't know what to do with it, does your neighbor have corn in the bin? Yeah, probably. So if you wait longer, what what do you what are your prospects for that price going up, particularly this time of year? And and they usually come to the same conclusion as, oh, it's not going to get better before it gets it's not going it's going to get worse before it gets better. I said yes. Yeah. So it's it's better to move that grain earlier than it is to wait because generally this time of year when you're now you're you know you're getting partway through pollination you know life you know the the market's going to go phew we got through that we're going to move forward so it's better to move it earlier than later talking with steve nicholson grain and oil seeds analyst for rabo agrifinance so steve um if if china purchases aren't going to move the needle and we don't have a big weather problem you know really dry or or overly hot uh then it well, wow. what else is there that could move the market significantly? <laughs> yeah, that's the big that's the big dilemma, and it it goes back to the whole issue we've talked about: is the demand side of the market is just relatively flat, that we don't see a lot of upside here when we see demand. Now, the other thing I will say is that, and this is the concern we've got to kind of this is a nuanced discussion, and so we could probably have an hour discussion. But I know we don't have that kind of time, but it's to think of the livestock sector. Now, there is going to be challenges in livestock over the next several months because you've got different biological cycles, and as, as, we, as the coronavirus continues to go back and forth and livestock kind of goes back and forth and all those sorts of things, you know, feed demand will be a, a bit challenged. Uh, there's no question about that. And, that has, and coronavirus have a long tail on the corn feed side. But having said that, the demand for animal protein is still very good both domestically and globally. And that's where, when I'm thinking of corn and also thinking of meal, that's where the best demand is going to come for our products. 
that is where the growth is going to be. It's not necessarily going to be in exports, and it's not necessarily going to be on the ethanol side. Uh, that's where the growth is going to come. And so, you know, that's that's what we have to kind of focus on and think about that from a growth standpoint and also from a market standpoint. It is complicated by the coronavirus, and it's complicated by the fact that we're more than likely in a recession. And, and that also does contract people's demand. But as, as I said at the top of, of our segment, the fact is countries are worried about making sure they have plenty of stocks. And so that's going to help kind of give us, and I'm going to say this, and I, don't, I don't know what the other word is to use, a bit of a, a boost in demand um, because countries are going to keep a little more inventory in place just in case. And so that that will help keep things from you know, just sliding into the, you know, completely uh, come unhinged. But it it is the very narrative and the very story that we've been talking about for almost two years is that the demand side is the challenge, and that's exactly your implication question is the challenges, the, where does that new demand come? And we're still going to be in that even even now because um, the market's going, we have plenty of stocks when you think about corn and worry about beans and wheat as well. And going, I don't need to worry or ration the demand or rational supply to, to the people. So it's kind we've of talked we about, Yeah, we've talked about reaction to China purchases. What if China started buying yep. ethanol? Yeah, I think that would be a positive thing. I think you're absolutely right about that. If they started to buy ethanol, that would be a positive thing, both for, for several reasons. One, it would get, you know, it start to help that phase one. Um, it would also start to help... Um, Corn demand internally, because if you look at what's happened to corn demand here in the last couple several you know couple weeks, it has kind of flattened out in that we don't see a lot of increase in ethanol. It's kind of flattened out, not as high as it was, but not as bad as it was. And so if if they started to buy ethanol, that would be a good thing overall for the corn market. Absolutely. and so, and that is something that they have talked about is that they need ethanol, they need corn, they need soybeans, and they need pork. Yeah, that's kind of the, when we look at what they're buying, uh, that's kind of the one we're still waiting for to see if they're going to start buying ethanol, DDGs, right. things like that. So we'll keep a watch on right. that. that. And they're buying, that, yeah. Yeah, they're so buying that could, pork, and that's a good thing. Yeah. But that 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 could be that missing piece we're, we're still waiting for, so we'll see. All right, Steve, good to talk with yep. you. Take care. Good to talk to you. You too. Stay healthy. <laughs> you too. Bye-bye. Steve Nicholson. Grain and oil seeds analyst for Rabo AgriFinance. Well, what should you be doing right now here in the middle of summer to uh, be on the alert and fight soybean cyst nematode? We'll talk about it with Greg Tilka, Iowa State nematologist, next here on AOA. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, if you're growing soybeans, you should be looking for soybean cyst nematode. Let's talk about it with Greg Tilka, Iowa State nematologist. Greg, thank you for joining us. What should they be scouting for? What should they be looking for in particular when it comes to SCN? Well, Mike, um, now is a, a unique time of the growing season where uh, soybean cyst nematode is most obvious to farmers and agronomists, and that's because the little white females that pop out of the roots every four weeks or so 
um, they're cycling through the growing season. And so this is prime time to get out in soybean fields and dig roots with a shovel. Don't want them pulling them. Dig the roots. Shake the soil from the roots and look for those little white FCN females. And can't do that in uh, May or early June because they haven't shown up yet. And you can't do that in September because they're too deep into the soil, on the roots in the soil. So July and August are prime times to be digging roots and looking for SCN females. So we talk a lot about the importance of scouting crops uh, for SCN, Mm -hmm. but timing is important. As you say, this is the time where you're going to find out the most. Right. It is, and it's the start of the process. So um, I've come to learn that many farmers don't know if they have SCN in a particular field. Some of them just kind of assume they do. Some of them don't. And so it really pays to know, you know, what's going on in your field. And when you find SCN females on the roots, it's the beginning of the process where you want to then collect really good soil samples in the fall. And that only needs to be done in fields where soybeans are going to be grown in 2021. And then when you get those soil sample results back, then you can kind of come up with a game plan for how you want to manage that soybean crop next growing season. Does weather have an impact on SCN? Weather has a really big impact on soybean cyst nematode, not whether it occurs or not, because it's always there in the soil and it's always going to be reproducing and causing damage. But the amount of reproduction and damage is greatly affected by temperature and especially rainfall. And soybean cyst nematode goes crazy with high reproduction in hot, dry soils, and certainly throughout parts of Iowa and other areas in the Midwest, there are some hot, dry soils occurring, and so ultimately what that means is there's lots more reproduction and much greater buildup in numbers throughout the growing season, and and obviously a much bigger problem after those ideal soil conditions. And just rotating from corn to soybeans and and back, that, that alone doesn't do it. No, we're actually fortunate that soybean cyst nematode cannot reproduce on corn or oats or other small grains or some other crops. But the downside or the the disappointing side of that story is that it doesn't disappear in one year of corn or other non-host crops. But it can drop as much as 50%. Um, And so the way I describe it is soybean cyst nematode is easy to keep low numbers low and it's hard to drive high numbers back down. If you catch it when numbers are low and you get in a rotation with good resistant soybeans and corn, you can keep those numbers in check because resistant soybeans shouldn't allow numbers to increase very much and then those corn years are going to drive numbers down. But it's when we become uh, kind of asleep at the wheel and we don't know what's going on in a field and FCN numbers build up and suddenly you have 10 or 15 or 20,000 eggs per half cup of soil then uh, there's no good options. Resistant soybeans will take a yield hit. Corn will drop the number some, but it's only going to drop it 30 or 40, if you're lucky, 50%. And it's hard to drive those numbers back down. That's why this time of the growing season is so critical for farmers to get out there and know what's going on and which fields have soybean cyst nematode in hopes of catching it early. Greg, we have talked over the years about the work of the SCN Coalition to educate soybean farmers about SCN, about what they can do, what they need to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Still, it seems to be 
almost an accepted loss in, in many ways. Either uh, a lot of farmers don't check or they, uh, why do you think that is? Do they just think there's no real way to fight it or stop it so they don't, they don't do it or are they just still not aware? What, what do you think the issue is here? Well, Mike, I'm glad to hear you say that. I, I wondered if I was just feeling terrible myself, but it sounds like you feel the pain or you you assess the situation correctly. And, you know, if I knew why farmers and agronomists were kind of complacent about SCN, I would uh, do whatever I could to change that. And, and I just don't know other than you can have it and be losing yield 10, 15, 20 bushels per acre uh, in years of adequate moisture or excess rainfall, and, and you don't see sick-looking soybeans. Um, the other thing is, in the 90s, it was really easy to manage. You, if you found out you had SCN, you just bought any, literally any resistant soybean, and that would fix the problem. And we've learned now in the last 10 or 15 years, the nematode has become resistant to the resistance. So suddenly, just picking any variety with resistance isn't helping necessarily. So it's a it's a little like high blood pressure. And I think people might think I'm being flippant when I say that, but not really. Um, people die from high blood pressure, but they're walking around with it and they don't know they've got it because the symptoms sometimes aren't that obvious. Management isn't that, that simple. You've got to stop salt intake, exercise, lose weight, don't drink alcohol, and it's kind of very similar to soybean cyst nematode. It's a silent killer. You may have it and not know about it, and you really need to know about it and then manage it actively by using all our management tools. Uh, yeah, that, I think that's it. You have to be committed to, to uh, the management program, right? You do, and um, you have to be committed, which means you have to put some energy into it. And I know farmers are really busy and have lots of things going on, um, and if they don't feel comfortable managing SCM, they could turn to their agronomist, their seed agronomist, their co-op agronomist. And you mentioned the SCM Coalition. We have a wonderful website with tons of information, thescncoalition.com. All right, Greg, as always, thanks for the, the information. Very helpful, and we uh, urge soybean growers to get out there and check those fields. Thanks a lot. Yep, thank you, Mike. Greg Tilka. Iowa State Nematologist. That wraps it up for today. Thanks for joining us here on AOA. AOA.